You're listening to Fueled, a Finstamaker podcast, and I'm your host, Catherine Finstamaker. Today we have with us RJ Booty. RJ, prior to his retirement in late 2020, served in a vital leadership capacity here at Finstamaker as senior vice president, overseeing quality and safety programming while working closely with all management teams. In a prior role as Senior Vice President of Operations, he coordinated daily activities in support of the policies, goals, and corporate vision established by our CEO and President. He was responsible for the development, promotion, and financial forecasting of the company's products and services. RJ ensured that all of our operations were carried out in compliance with local, state, and federal regulations and laws. His leadership effectively maximized resources and the timely delivery of project objectives. During his tenure of almost 50 years, RJ contributed substantially to the formulation of our safety and quality control programs. Under his direction and as a result of his effectual management, Finstamaker experienced tremendous growth in size, expertise, and revenue. So with all that said, thank you for taking time out of your retirement (laughs) schedule to be here with us today and are you ready to get started sure thank you for having me Catherine. Uh, it's uh i'm looking forward to this good me too i've been looking forward to it so kicking things off rj you joined fencemaker in 1972 yes. can you describe the makeup of the company at that time what led you here and the role that you originally assumed sure i'll start off with how i got here first Obviously, I was uh, getting out of college, and I needed a full-time job. And I know you probably don't know this, Catherine, but from 1970 to 1975, we were in a pretty big economic recession in the United States, and jobs were not plentiful, to put it that lightly. I wanted to stay around here. I had worked all through college to pay for my college at a little auto parts place, and they had offered me a job, and there were some retail jobs open I just wasn't sure what I wanted to do. Your father and I were friends. He had come to work for your grandfather a year before, after he had been in the insurance business for a year, year and a half, maybe. Maybe, I think a year. Anyway, and he said, look, we need some help in the field. Would you want to try that, see how that goes? So I thought about it a little bit, and I said, I don't have anything else going on. I don't want to do the retail thing. Let me look into this just to see if it'll be something I might like. Man thinking in the back of my head, truly, that "Eh, I can probably do this a little bit, and then something else will come along, and I'll just go ahead and move on to that. So I told your dad that I would like to join the the company. Could I get hired? And he says, sure. So I put my application in, and that was a done deal already, pretty much. So I was hired. So you put some boots on. And, uh, <laughs> and, and I was hired, obviously, at the lowest position in the company, which I expected because I had no experience. I didn't know anything about serving except a few things your father would tell me about that he had done. He worked part-time during the summers doing that. And obviously, I knew a little bit from what he told me, but obviously, not even a tip of the iceberg. So I said, sure, I'll give this a try. So I was hired as a survey chainman, which is the lowest rung on the totem pole in the company. And in the field, it's the lowest rung. You're basically pulling a chain, measuring distances with a steel chain. I figured I didn't know anything about it, but I knew I had a good work ethic. So I said, okay, I can follow instructions. I can do this. Let's see how this goes. 
my first day on the job. Oh, gosh. I was in the Chafalai Basin, probably about up to my rib cage in water, and we were doing a property survey for a company at the time. These guys were teaching me how to chain and get distances, and basically I was using a brush hook to cut brush for a line of sight so the instrument man could see down the line. Didn't know what I was doing, but those guys were very patient with me on the crew. They showed me what I needed to do, did it, and uh, we stayed on that job probably at least a month, maybe longer. And most it was six days a week, long hours. It was pretty hot, pretty warm. All my days in the field, they were very hot or very cold and long hours. And like I always kidded folks when they would ask me, how was it to work out in the field? I said, I said did you like working out in the field? I said, I loved two weeks in the spring and two weeks in the fall. I said, oh. it was perfect weather. But seriously, <laughs> no, it was good. It was okay. I learned a lot. Traveled all over South Louisiana from agricultural fields to pastures to forested hardwoods to forested swamps, marshland, rivers, bays, offshore, the full gamut. So I got a nice tour of South Louisiana. And some of the areas were just very, very picturesque. It was really some nice places, some really neat places. It was fun, and I enjoyed that part of it. Yeah, it's not like a nice way to literally get your feet wet. Absolutely, get my feet <laughs> wet. And obviously, it was an eye-opener from coming from college and working mm-hmm. in an auto parts house to being in, I call the elements, and all the time in the elements, and of course, learning a new trade, so to speak. Yeah. But it was challenging. It was, it was good. I, I liked it. It was really good. Getting back to your question on the makeup of the company, at yeah. the time, there was a Lafayette office, which was on Pinhook, and there were eight or nine people in the office. Of course, your grandfather was there. We had Bill Curry, who was an engineer with your grandfather there. There was another engineer that didn't, didn't stay too long, and then there were some CAD operated survey techs with, like Larry Dostrom and Larry Oquin and Larry Broussard, Harvey Broussard. They were a good group. It was a good group in there. In the field, there were four survey crews, four party chiefs, and a survey crew at the time was made up of four personnel. There was a party chief, an instrument man, and two chainmen, a head chainman and a tail chainman. Obviously, my first job, I was a tail chainman. Tail mm-hmm. was really, I just have to hold the chain, and the, the head guy reads the distances and all that stuff. So that was the makeup of the company at the time, a little field office in New Iberia where I would have to report to drive from Lafayette to New Iberia, and I would be assigned to someone's survey crew, and we were assigned the job, and we would head out and do the job and do the survey work. So that's how I got started in this business. That's definitely the early days. (laughs) Very early days, very (laughs) early days, but it was good. It was very good, and I was fortunate, obviously. I had some guys that would, and I felt I was a quick learner on some of those things, so I could get to do those things and went from, survey chairman, tail chairman, head chairman. And then eventually I was able to become an instrument man and run the uh, transits and the theodolites and the distance measuring devices. We had tapes at the time, which were distance measuring devices and auto tapes, which were we used mostly offshore other distance measuring devices. So that was really interesting. Then, of course, did instrument man work for a while and eventually worked my way up to be a party chief and had my own crew and did my own projects with the crews that were assigned from the office. And then eventually, probably, I guess I was out in the field for probably six years, I guess. And then 
I was made put in charge of all the survey crews. And by that time, we had grown to maybe nine or ten survey crews and, and kept growing a little bit. So that was kind of how it started. Yeah, that sounds really exciting. And and as it went, I lost my thought of, well, if something else comes up that's better, I'm not quite sure when that left or how it left or whatever. I never paid too much attention of it. I just one of It's one of those aha moments down the road, and you kind of say, oh, that's right. You were saying, yeah, I'll do this for a while. If something better comes along, I'll look at it. I didn't look at anything else. At some point, it was just there, and I guess... At some point, obviously, a job became a career, which yeah. which a lot of people, sometimes you, you don't realize, sometimes you do realize it. Yeah, yeah. you got committed. Got committed. I it got became, engaged. Uh, yeah, it just became a I part got, of it, your it, life. Of what I was doing and, and yeah. obviously what I was enjoying doing at the time, that worked out for me. Good. I think it worked out. I think it was a win-win. It was. It was. <laughs> so, yeah, speaking of that, you ended up dedicating decades of your life, like we talked about, almost 50 years of your career life to the growth and development of Finstamaker. So you kind of talked about this, but maybe rehash a little bit how you find yourself reminiscing about those early days. Early days were really, I really have a fond memory of those days. In fact, I still have a really special place in my heart for the field survey guys Mm -hmm. that go through what they go through and how they do it and the dedication they have the day in, the day out the good weather, the bad weather, the difficult terrain, the difficult projects they work on, the precision they still have to have, that has stuck with me that it's great to get a project in that the office gets a call in and the office knows what needs to be done. Conceptually, you still have to have boots on the ground to do it and a team that can execute that. You can't just make it up. You can't just draw it on paper and say, oh, this is it. It has to be truthed and proven on the ground. And that's what the guys in the field do and have good fond memories of that. And also the guys in the office, when at, on those early days, it's such a small office. Mm-hmm. If you were in the field working on a project, you would come back into the office and we didn't have cell phones or anything like that. We had to either find a pay phone to tell them what we had done, and then they would usually say, well, come on in and let's take a look at it closer. So we would get into the office, and we'd go over what had been done, and they would bounce things. Did you see this? Which maybe you hadn't necessarily put in your field notes. And as I was a, I guess, an up-and-coming party chief, I wasn't totally familiar and trained with that you had to really be aware of everything, of all your surroundings that because you were their eyes and ears of the office people. So yeah. that was a neat a, a combination of expertise. The office guys conceptually knew it, and then the field guys would go ahead and execute it, and it would put it all together, and you had your finished product. So, But the guys in the office were very, very helpful, understanding. They, were, they could explain things to you. They uh, obviously had a job to do, so they couldn't take forever to explain things to you. But you did get a good background and a general concept of what you were doing and why you were doing it. And that always helps to at least, you can't just, I believe, you can't just do things and push buttons or measure things to do something. What am I doing this for? It helps when you know what the end product should be or what the end product is being looked at for. Yeah, the bigger picture. The bigger picture. And basically, that's what the office ended up finalizing, the bigger picture for the client. Yeah. So, but yes, good well, fond memories. It seems to me like, yeah, being in the field and having those field experiences gives you a sense 
of that bigger picture. Like when you can be in the weeds of it and then see beyond that to, you know, the rest of the operation. Absolutely. It kind of gives you a good foundation for climbing the ranks, so to speak, as you did. And I believe anyone who has experienced a field such as your father, your uncle, your brother, it just adds exponentially mm-hmm. their their concept of what is going on, their understanding, basic starting from the ground up, so to speak, and you see everything. And to me, that is a tremendous advantage for someone. Yeah, I would agree. And people probably would have more respect. Yes. For those who have followed that course. Correct. I believe the ones who have been both in the office and the field definitely can respect both sides too. And it helps when we have had, and I'll say the same thing, the reverse. We have had some, and I was fortunate enough to be one of those, and your dad too, and your brother and your uncle who were in the field then moved into the office. And you also appreciated what the office did and what they had to do with the information. And it made you appreciate that I needed to really be accurate with what I was doing, very descriptive of what I was doing, because they were over here in an office and you were out there. So you had to paint this wonderful picture that they could see clearly so they could do their job and do it well. Yeah, and I think we're even still today growing in that kind of symbiosis. We are. Which we is are. a good thing. It is a good thing. So, okay, thinking back to our founder, which yes. this season is you know, Seeking CHF, so we're kind of talking about him a little bit in the, the origin story of our company. What strikes you when you think back about our founder, uh, lovingly referred to as CH? What of his personality is memorable to you? And I see you smirking and smiling already. <laughs> well, uh, the first thing that comes to mind about C.H., C.H. was one of the most intelligent people that I knew. He was very smart, surveying math. He just intuitively knew surveying and engineering, too. It wasn't just surveying. And a lot of other subjects that I was maybe not versed with him enough with. But what I saw from that, he was just an extremely intelligent guy. And it showed not only of his knowledge of surveying, because he was renowned. I don't know if you knew this. Your grandfather was renowned in his survey knowledge and the survey projects that he had done throughout the state. He was renowned. What some people might not realize, that he was always interested in technology, He had a Wang computer at the old little Lafayette office, and he wrote his own survey programs. And everybody was kind of like, what is this guy doing? How is he doing this stuff? And to make calculations more efficient, the process more efficient, your grandfather was really interested in that. And obviously, that rubbed off on your father, who loves technology also. But it was really amazing to see your grandfather so engrossed in technology at the time and jumping into it. I mean, not being afraid of it, not getting a consultant. He did it himself. And that always amazed me. And very, very smart man. Now, I call it on his business side, very businesslike, no-nonsense guy. If you were going to look for an attaboy from him, you could forget that. He believed, and I know it's a generational thing at some point, he believed that if I hired you, and I paid you to do certain things, that was your job. Mm-hmm. You were supposed to do it. You don't need an attaboy. I'm paying you, and obviously if you're not doing your job, you're not going to be here. I'm going to fire you. There were not a lot of accolades given out by your grandfather, 
He didn't believe in that. Obviously, he didn't get them when he was uh, growing up. Yeah. yeah, I think that was just the generation. And your dad and I have some of that generational thing in us, too. It's just like, hey, that's your job. That's what yeah. you do. But he was really a stickler for accurate work, mm-hmm. very accurate work. And if you did it, that was fine. If you didn't do it, you were gone. Yeah. Real simple. No nonsense. No nonsense whatsoever. (laughs) Well, you kind of touched on this, but maybe you have some anecdotal evidence to support it. But I've definitely heard, and again from you, that he ran quite a tight ship. So how did you find our founder as a boss? Again, probably just adding to what I already said, as a boss, he was what I expected. And by that, I mean, he gave you tasks to do. And he expected those tasks to be done and done accurately and timely. And I knew those were the conditions, those were the expectations, and all of us had to abide by those expectations. He had a uh, little coffee break time in the office about, I think it was 10 or 15 minutes in the morning and the afternoon. I'll never forget this. And he would participate too. He would get his little coffee thing. But if he was in his office and he felt the 10 minutes had expired or whatever and anybody someone was still at the coffee pot he would be out at office and he'd come <laughs> up to him and say time to get back to work you've had enough break time oh. real simple real <laughs> simple so of course that was the thing you'd see these you see people at the coffee pot kind of and, when, and you see him kind of walking back to the office that was a sign everybody to walk back and you could tell sometimes the new people if there were new people they didn't quite maybe quite know the rules yet and unfortunately, at the time, there was a little bit of that, okay, watch what happens here. You know? <laughs> and so I'd come out and tell this person, hey, need to get back to work. Yeah, they but, learn quick then. Correct. By running a tight ship, he expected you, if there was work on the weekends or after hours, mm-hmm. he expected you to be there. He didn't, he didn't expect you to say no. That was just an expectation. He paid you overtime for that, but there was an expectation. He demanded that. And you knew that going in. Mm. So all of these, I love stories about him. They always make me laugh because he was just so rigid. But what do you consider foundational by way of the company's early values? And how did CH help to set that tone? His mantra, I call it, was strive for excellence. Excellence was, was the key. By that, I mean high-quality work. He demanded that of himself and everyone else. He expected high-accuracy work, whether it was surveying in the field or in the office, or he had to write a survey report or a, a legal description. It didn't matter. He strived and demanded excellence. That's what I believe was the key that permeated throughout this whole company, that his demand for excellence Obviously, I'm going to say forced, but it was expected. So it was pushed on everyone else, and it made everyone else better. And there were no ifs, ands, or buts. You had to perform at that high quality. That was his high standards. And I think that still permeates to this company today. I think that started from the very beginning. And obviously, he had that inner drive Mm -hmm. himself, but it definitely was what he pushed throughout the company. Had a ripple effect. Absolutely. Absolutely. Even here we are 70 years later. 70 plus years, we're still 
used to the high-quality work and demand the high-quality work. And I think our clients, I mean, over time, have come to appreciate that Correct. as well. Not only appreciate, they expect it, which, which they should. So beginning with your first position with the company, how did CH specifically contribute to your professional growth and trajectory? One, and probably my hands are sweating right now because I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of this instance. Your grandfather was uh, obviously you know, head of the whole office and everything. And one of the projects I was working on as a party chief at the time was a, a flow line we were doing for a major oil company. And the land man for the oil company was with me on the job on the ground. And he was probably a few years younger than your grandfather at the time, definitely much older than me. He had given me all the information. What we were trying to do is lay this flow line, and there was a certain property owner we were supposed to have this flow line on and make sure we weren't going to encroach on an adjacent landowner. So we were looking for property corners. Well, we're searching around for the information he gave me, and we had located one benchmark, an iron pipe, Mm-hmm. And it called for a couple of our iron pipes, and we looked around. We couldn't find any. And of course, he's pushing really hard because obviously his job was to to complete the plats for this right away so we could have the landowner sign the plats so they could start construction immediately yeah. and get product flowing in that pipeline from this well they had just drilled and finished so they could have cash flow. So yeah. it's a big push. So he says, look. So I said, I don't find anything. He said, that's good. That's good right there. And I'm kind of, well, he says, come on, we got to get this thing out. We got, you know, we have a construction crew coming tomorrow and all this other stuff. Long story short, do the survey, tie that survey thing in, turn in the information. We create the plats in the office. Oil company gets a call and they started, the construction company started doing a little clearing before they were going to dig the trench Mm -hmm. and an adjacent landowner calls and say, hey, what are y'all doing on my property? And, of course, the oil company calls us and said, hey, the, this landowner says we're on this property. I said, I thought y'all had this boundary found. We're saying, yeah. And, well, he's saying no. So, obviously, your grandfather was had the project, and he says, well, RJ, you need to go back out there, and let, let's check this out. Let's make sure. So I go back out there, and we're looking around, and the adjacent landowner's there. So I introduced myself to him. I said, well, we had found this pipe. And he said, well, that's not our property corner. That's not our property corner. He says, it's somewhere here, over here. And it was probably 50 or 60 feet away. And I'm going, I get this Uh-oh. bad feeling in the pit of my stomach. And I'm going, really? So we do some research. I find another pipe. I find a second pipe, just as it should have been. Make a short story out of this. I'd used the wrong property corner. And we did encroach on this guy's property. Luckily, we didn't dig a ditch. We had cleared some land. So the oil company wants Fenstermaker to pay for the construction crew that had done this work needlessly. And the landowner wanted a little bit of damage money. So I meet with your grandfather. And we're going through the whole deal. And I'm so humiliated. I'm so humbled. And told him I, I made an error. He was not happy. He was not happy. Fortunately, he didn't fire me. We ended up paying some money. And it was a tough, tough lesson for me. It's a lesson that I never forgot through the rest of my years at this company. It stayed with my psyche forever to make sure that you're accurate in what you're doing. Make sure 
you do enough research, you take the extra time, don't let anybody pressure you, push you to not do it correctly. And another side note, the <laughs> the landman threw me under the bus and did sort of, oh, well, I'm he was sorry. out there. I mean, uh, you know, I mean, he should have known what was there. And uh, I mean, and because your grandfather told him, he said, well, he was saying you'd rushed him. And he says, I mean, well, we're trying to get it in, but I mean, you know, heck, I mean, y'all yeah, the survey company. Yeah. So anyway. You learned that it was, the buck stops with you and you're Absolutely, out there. absolutely. So that was a really rude awakening for me, but it was a, a good lesson. And fortunately, like I said, uh, I know it cost the company some money, but I didn't lose my job and I went on to help the company more yeah. than that. And uh, on a side note, Years and years later, of course, and your grandfather and I had a good relationship. It wasn't a bad one, and I don't know. He must have felt sorry for me. Gosh, I hope he, <laughs> I hope he did because I really – I don't see how he kept me. I think if I'd have been in his shoes, I'd have fired me on the spot. Oh, gosh. And anyway, as we progressed over the years, and I remember that time he had turned running the company over to your dad, mm-hmm. but your grandfather would come in every week. So weekly – I was operations manager at the time. Weekly, he would stop by my office. Come in, he'd bring, have his cup of coffee. Hey, RJ, how you doing? Fill me in, kind of what's going on? How many jobs we have? You know, kind of tell me what's going on. So it was kind of like his resource. He felt some confidence in me, or, or I'm not sure what, whatever it was, that I really enjoyed those weekly little updates for him. It was an update for him on what was going on on projects and yeah. what we were expecting, how was things going on in the field, how was... I felt honored that he would come to me and uh, and ask those questions of me. So that was kind of cool. Yeah. I feel like dad a little bit. You know, he still comes to the office, although he's not heavily involved Correct. in the, the day-to-day. Maybe he kind of got that from granddad a little bit. But, yeah, I find he also likes to have his finger on the pulse. Absolutely. Still. Absolutely. And that's what your grandfather wanted, just to know how things were going. And, look, he would talk with your dad regularly too i mean don't mm-hmm. get me wrong on the finances yeah. and stuff like that but project wise and things he just wanted to know you know i think he was still interested you know he, i mean it was his baby let's yeah, face it it was his, his baby legacy. exactly he wants to know how things were still improving going doing if there was something he should know about or not know about it was really neat to him for him to see that he still had that that passion to know what was going on and not just say hey yeah, I'm, i checked out i'm yeah i'm here but i'm not he really was interested in Wanted to know what was going on. So I oh. thought that was cool. Yeah. I wonder what he would think today. Oh. oh you ever oh, think about that? Oh, yes, I do. <laughs> I, he would be so happy, so gratified of where this company is today. I really believe that. I really I believe so that. so, too. And maybe proud of some of us. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I know he would. I know he would. Uh, he might not tell us, but he, he oh, would. Right. He, but, he, but, he, but he would. He would. Not giving out any attaboys <laughs> or girls. No. no. So That's... just continuing on in that reminiscing fashion, are there any other standout characters that mentored you along the way? Any memorable people that really helped to shape your perception of the company or industry? Yes. My first... I call it mentor, was Simonette Ray Miguez, who, when I was hired, he ran the field operations. And Ray was just a passionate, enthusiastic professional land surveyor. He loved to be out in the field, boots on the ground, seeing it actually happen. He could do all the office calculations, like all the office people, but his true 
passion was being on the ground and find that property corner, survey this point in, find this old witness tree. He just loved that. He loved it. And it was so infectious that it was hard for you not to be enthusiastic and feel that passion that he had. And I learned so much from that guy. I'm telling you, he was your grandfather's best asset in the field. He was unbelievable. He really was. He was really unbelievable. Just a really enthusiastic guy. Your grandfather was fortunate to have such a guy like that. So he helped me along the way. He was he was patient. He would show us things and really kind of tell you why things were being done, but in a very enthusiastic manner, not just and and, and if if you kind of didn't understand it, he wouldn't blow you off necessarily. He would try to get you to understand. Sometimes I did, sometimes I didn't, but he still tried and uh, he helped me so much along the way. Without him, I, I don't know what I'd have done in the field. I mean, I and look, I had some party chiefs who helped me learn how to run instruments or certain things or do certain things. But overall, Ray Miguez really set the tone, I guess, for field surveying, in my opinion. Yeah. Well, you got to have somebody to mentor you, you and you do. show you the ropes. And you do. And, and, and be enthusiastic and really, really be so jacked up about it i mean it was just amazing and then another person was mr bill curry in the office he was your grandfather's right hand man there's no question a very very proficient competent surveyor proud of what he was doing engaged all the time he would explain things technical things with the sunniest disposition you could ever ask for he enjoyed explaining things to you explaining surveying to you, just industry things, oil and gas. He worked for an oil and gas company before he came to work for your grandfather. Okay. So he knew how the inner out, the inner, inner workings of an oil company, what they were looking for when they were trying to stake well locations, all those types of things, and what they were looking for to you know get the well online, those kind of things. He was really knowledgeable in that and really explained it. But he was a true gentleman, prince of a guy, a team player, he was just unbelievable. He was a great guy. And then my other mentor, I feel, even it was those late in my career, last but not least, was Cam, Cam Ovasagi. Cam yeah. was just unbelievable. Your dad hired him at a really good time here. He came in with these organizational uh, processes that we needed at the time, and he really rejuvenated the engineering group and got them to heights that I don't think they ever thought they could reach and that they're still reaching for today and i truly believe if if cam had not been with us i'm not sure the engineering group would be anywhere near they are today he really spearheaded that and did a great job of that besides overall running the company and fortunately we were next door to each other office wise and we had probably almost daily conversations on how things were going or bouncing a few things off of each other he really helped me. He had just such great leadership skills and good listening skills. He wasn't just a person that would tell you what you needed to do. He listened to you, listened yeah. to what you had to say. Might not agree with you, and he would tell you, and that's okay, and vice versa. He and I went into many discussions, I'm going to call it, <laughs> and but we were very respectful. And what I really appreciated about Cam, whatever he did, first and foremost, was for the betterment of the company. There was, I mean, not even an issue. You couldn't think of anything else 
that he was thinking about when something he came up with something or was doing something, except that he believed that was for the best of the company. And I really respected him for that. Appreciated that. So those are my three. Uh, Your three heavy hitters. My three heavy hitters. My three heavy hitters. That's good. They were great. Just hearing from people that we hire and their sort of rationale as to why they would be interested in working here. And a lot of times I'll hear that we have such a great bench depth of yes. mentorship here. Yes. Just so much experience and and knowledge. And it's just a great place for people to come and get their feet wet and, and get started and, and have a bunch of people who are enthusiastic about making sure that they're going to launch their own career and, right. and be excited about that. And, and to help guide them when they do have questions or suggestions or even some of the mentors just give them insight into some areas they never even thought they were, could think about or even go there. But these yeah. mentors have experienced it, and it creates an interest in some of these newer people that they can expand and advance themselves on it. It's, it's a wonderful asset to have. The mentorship is incredible. Yeah, and it just kind of perpetuates things going forward. I mean, obviously, we have 70 years under our belt. So. I, know. <laughs> I know, and some people forget about that. Some people really forget that we have 70 years of this going concern. Yeah. And yeah. still going. Yeah, and still going <laughs> on and on. Hopefully more. Absolutely. They say third generation Absolutely. is really the challenge whenever it, it comes is. to keeping Supposedly, a family business around. Yes, it is. And here we are. Here we are. We're doing all right. And doing, absolutely. <laughs> Definitely doing all right. So you wore many different hats within the company throughout your years here. Can you talk a little bit about that and how your varying involvement allowed you an interesting vantage point on the firm. Yes. I feel I was extremely blessed and extremely fortunate to be able to be in different areas of the company and to experience the inner workings, I'm going to call it, of the company. And I really believe, except, and I'm except your father out of this, your father probably has his a little bit more than I, but except for him, I think I had the best overview of the company born on anybody that was here from all different aspects because I was fortunate to be able to do things working on the production side, whether it was the field, whether it was the office, on the financial side, on the risk side, on the resource side, whether it was personnel, whether it was equipment, on the industry side, a business development side. I've really done it all, which yeah. I feel fortunate to have been able to do that it gave me an extremely overall view of the company that when I thought about it later, I thought that was pretty special. I thought that was really unique. I've had the good fortune to hear clients praise the work that Fenstermaker has done and the team, the Fenstermaker team has done for them. I've heard that so many times. It's just been wonderful. At the same time, I've had to fire a client one time because they were abusing, verbally abusing our some of our team members working for them. I knew it was the right thing to do. I've been able to hire many good people and see them progress. I've had the unfortunate task of firing some people and let them go. I had to let some people go. I've had the fun part when we had some excellent revenue years to 
not only get a bonus for myself, but give out bonuses. Mm -hmm. And I've had the opposite unfortunate task when we had not good revenue years to have my salary cut and have to cut other people's salaries, which affects families. I've seen the company grow in not only a, a geographical footprint, in the physical buildings, in the equipment, in the technology, in the financial arena, the employee growth, the benefit growth, on and on. I have just seen so much of this company. It really makes me feel proud that I've been able to be here to know that I work for such a wonderful company where it has been and where it has gone and where it's still going. It yeah. is just the coolest thing. I'm telling you, it's really cool when you get a chance to reflect on that. Yeah. And I've done a lot of things. I've done a lot of things. I've enjoyed all of them. I've had some areas that I wish I wouldn't have that done. I've, we've had some risk cases where uh, we had some claims against a company, whether it was professional, whether it was workman's comp, whether it was a vehicle claim. I've had to deal with those, and those come with the territory. But I felt I've been able to be able to deal with all of those things. Yeah. Yeah, and that's a true 360 view on Finstamaker. I've had a great great ride. I'm telling you, it's it's been a great view. You came for our recent Christmas luncheon. Yes, I did. Were you impressed? You saw the people? I was so impressed. I told your dad, I said, who are all these people? (laughs) (laughs) And and you know what your dad told me? He says, don't feel bad. I don't know. I don't know a lot of them either. But when he told me we had hired 47 new people, when I, I was saying that is just spectacular. That is fantastic. Yeah. So it's a good thing. It's a good it's sign a great when you don't thing. know it's everybody. It's a great thing. It's yeah. a great thing. It really is. And the it new just guard. the new guard, and it just keeps showing the growth that the company has kept going and will keep going. And yeah. that's important. I mean, it's important. Shifting gears slightly, I'd like to talk a little bit about our internal corporate culture, sure. which you talked about. You've had integral roles in in shaping that. What elements of our culture do you see as having changed or evolved over the course of these last several decades? And on the flip side of that, what do you see as having persisted? I think what I've seen was communication in this company over the decades. It's uh, sometimes been an issue with either field and office divisions support groups versus production groups. Sometimes there's been a lack of communication over the years. That has increased exponentially, in my opinion, probably the last at least 15 years or more, more than anything I've seen, and to the betterment of the company. You see more disciplined groups working together. I believe there's more transparency, which to me is a communication thing that has evolved in this company. And I believe the employees, the team members appreciate that. And some of them may not realize or take it for granted, but if they would have been here 30 years ago, I think they would have, see, would have seen a market difference and would appreciate where it is today. So that's, to me, the main one. Communication is one. Second one, our safety performance and emphasis. Mm-hmm. We always were trying to be safe, and obviously we always had the – the goal of having all of our employees be able to return home to their families safely every day Mm -hmm. that they work. At the same time, the indirect benefit is that we continue to get work from our clients because they see not only are we good at what we do from an engineering, surveying, environmental, whatever it is, but we also have a good safety record to prove it that their 
people won't get hurt while they, while we're working with them. Mm-hmm. But that has evolved over the years, and it is such a and it should be. It's a high emphasis area, and we have done, I think, splendidly on that. We, we've done spectacular on that, and I think that has really evolved to uh, really greater heights. I also believe the one company, the family theme still exists and it always has and it always seems to get better. It seems to get better as we go. And I think it will continue that. It really continue that. That is one of the mainstays of this company. It was there when I first started and it has never left. Even when I'm gone now, it's, I mean, you can just see it. You can see it. You could see it when I came to the Christmas luncheon, which is really good. Yeah, I like it. Uh, it's awesome. So those are the three areas that I've, I see we have really done a, a really good job in. Some that have persisted, and I'm assuming that's a more of a, that has not changed for the better, I'm assuming you're right referring yeah, to. Yeah, like what are some of the bedrock things that you can trace back to even the small office on, on Pinnock? We still have that same, we still, I don't know, whether it's I, a resolve or drive. We definitely have the resolve and drive. What I still think we sometimes have, and it's hard to uh, break out of sometimes, depending on the personality of the employees that are in the culture, sometimes I think we still have a little bit of passive resistance that when principles and, and edicts for the good of the company comes down, I still think there's sometimes some passive resistance, and I understand human nature mm-hmm. change is difficult. Okay. No one likes change. I think that has some to do with it, and I hear that from other friends who are in other companies. They mm-hmm. seem to go through the same thing. Maybe it's just a human nature thing, but that has always been, to me, something we could improve on that we can't quite grasp yet. We can't yeah. quite grasp, and, and I don't know if anybody has that answer. I would hope that people would see for the life of me, I don't understand it, the passive resistance. To me, I felt in my career, I didn't agree with all the decisions that were made mm-hmm. yet. And we had some, I don't want to say heated, but we've had some discussions on that. Once the discussions were over and mm-hmm. the, the decision was made. made, I believe I went out there and I acted with the intent that this is where we're going, this is a decision. You didn't hear from me that, oh, I didn't like that. I don't know why they're doing this. You didn't mm-hmm. hear that back talk. Just, that's what we're doing. That's what we're doing. Yeah. And to me, it was for the betterment of the company. You can't have a divided mm-hmm. group that's going to fail. Yeah. So for the life of me, I can't understand if some people do that still. And again, yeah. again, it's my perception sometimes. Not pervasive. It's not a pervasive trend, but there is some passive resistance that is tough to uh, overcome sometimes. Yeah. I think it's like you said, though, you know, part of it is human nature. Yes. And at the end of the day, an organization comprised of humans. Correct. Um, we're subject to those, whether they're, whether it's a, a character defect or, you know, something, maybe a lack of trust or right. maybe not seeing the bigger picture and just being comfortable in our day to day. But yeah, I can see where that would be really difficult to weed out the human nature in, it, in it a is. business, you know. In a and and also, I would like to think that while it's a human nature trait, Mm -hmm. it can be changed Mm -hmm. 
at the same time, I'm not naive to think that I'm not ready to give up on it, and I don't think y'all should either, that, well, that is human nature, so we're just going to let it be. I still think we need to try to overcome that as best we can. Yeah. And the eternal hope, I call it, my eternal positivity, yeah. is that at some point it does change, and it gets better. And because yeah. it really benefits the company if everybody's pulling the same way. Yeah, definitely. If all the arrows are pointed in the same direction, definitely right. get more mobilization that way. We do. And, yeah. and, and so anyway, that's probably the one that I feel that has probably uh, persisted Mm-hmm. the most out of all I used to I think we've done a good job on what I'm going to refer to we used to call it the rumor mill that was it's been quoted that your dad said stuff I've said stuff which we never did yeah. and where did that come from and that was a a sticking point maybe years back but I believe that has really really kind of gone by the wayside I don't see the rumor mill being that big of an issue anymore yeah. And maybe I was oblivious maybe to it before I left. Exactly. <laughs> there's there's the rumor mill underground now that we don't we don't it doesn't rear its ugly head unless you're in the in the click. Yeah. I'm not sure. I don't people need to get their so. cheap little thrills though. <laughs> but I think with the transparency, again, with the communication, yeah. like I said, I think some of that has gone away mm-hmm. and I will give that part up to say that possibly some of the rumor mill back when was a result of the silos and not transparency or and i don't think it was an intentional thing Mm -hmm. to try to keep information from people or the right information from people it just happened and sometimes you think oh i'm sure catherine knows that so i don't have to explain it to her Mm -hmm. and catherine might not know it and she's thinking something totally different so i think that did have something to do with it so again i believe the better communication that has come to be here and the transparency has possibly squashed that that's really nice yeah there's always going to be haters (laughs) you can't you can't extinguish that (laughs) we've talked about this but describe for me watching and just being a part of the company's evolution over the years what to you are some defining moments oh gosh there were several defining moments i'm gonna call them and some possibly more important than others. Uh, what comes to mind to me, first of all, first and foremost, and some of them are very simplistic, when we moved the company from Pinhook Road to this campus here, that was a defining moment for sure. Mm-hmm. When uh, your father hired the first biologist to begin our permitting for oil and gas activity, which created our environmental group, mm-hmm. that to me was a defining moment. When your father was made head of this company, I think that was a defining moment from the growth standpoint, from ideas, from vision. Mm-hmm. I think that was definitely a defining moment. I think your father spending money and implementing on a coordinate geometry system at the time was InfoCAD for office calculations was a defining moment before it was much more tedious to try to get projects out into do calculations and do things and CAD drawings. He had enough vision to see that that would be a tool that would help Finstermaker. So again, that was a defining moment. I believe the um, geographic expansion of locations was a defining moment. Some people like to call them satellite offices. It increased Finstermaker's footprint. I believe the 
oil crash of the 85, 86 was a defining moment for this company. Yeah. It taught a lot of things and helped us to be stronger. I believe that we equipped our, all of our, at one point in time, we equipped all of our survey crews with every piece of equipment. It was a big investment. Every piece of equipment they needed, including laptop computers and everything they needed, and trained the party chiefs to do all the field calculations to basically be uh, self-sufficient in the field and not as dependent on the office. I think that was a defining moment that really improved our efficiency and kind of set us apart from other competitors at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, Some decentralized yes, demand, if you will. Correct. Correct. Basically, you delegated the work, but you gave that delegated people all the tools they needed to perform their jobs. They mm-hmm. were not, quote unquote, going in a fight with their hand, one hand, hand tied behind their back. Okay. Another defining moment was, again, I'm going to go back to Cam, hiring Cam Ovasagi at the time. It was critical that he came on board as president and rejuvenated the engineering group. I think another defining moment has been probably your... Uh, your brother incorporating the EOS in this company here. I think that has definitely changed some of the culture, the thought process. It's set the goal of growth, reset the goal of growth where it should have been. So I think that's been a definite defining moment. And for Uh, those that don't know, EOS. That's the entrepreneurial operational system that the traction? Traction, correct. The accountability side correct. of things. Correct. Goal setting correct. and accountability for that. Correct. Just off the cuff, I consider those defining moments. I'm sure there are, are many others out there, but those strike me as uh, as definitely benchmarks that had some impact on this company. Most of them were all positive, yeah. except the one negative was the oil and gas, but it ended up being positive because we came out stronger from that because obviously that was a tough time. Yeah. That kind of feeds in, you know, the oil crash piece of it. It kind of feeds into this next topics here. But what are some of the toughest lessons that you learned along the way during your career? I know you talked about that the moment with my grandfather was one. You talked peripherally about the oil crash. Yes. Um, So I know you've gained some interesting insights that others may benefit from. So... What are some of the tough lessons that you learned along the way? And I'll I'll go back to the oil and gas of the 80s. And, of course, let me qualify that. Since that crash, which was 70, I mean, 85, 86. So oil, when I first started, to give a background a little bit, I want to say when I first started in 72, oil was maybe like $22 a barrel, something like that. Then, I don't know if it's probably way I know you won't know this or remember this, but there was an oil embargo of the Arab states in the the 70s, 73, 74, and oil went up really, really high. And then it leveled off. And then it really went up again towards the 80s. I want to say in 1980, I'm going to push myself a little bit, 80 or 81, I want to say oil was something like at $130 a barrel. Mm -hmm. And it was going well. So we were extremely busy, unbelievably busy, growing. Then it kind of leveled off and started dropping a little, a little, but not that bad. Then 85, 86 came, and it really, really dropped. And bottom fell out. Went to, yeah, bottom fell out. Economies were really reeling, especially oil-dependent economies, and, and we were. We had just bought, expanded our first time 
bought a firm called Aubrey Burke and Associates in New Orleans, and that became the New Orleans office. Mm-hmm. And I believe we thought at the time we knew the crash was going on, but we still had pretty good business. Business was good. Fast forward a year later, it took a while to catch up, and it really crashed here. We had a tough, tough time. It was really tough. What got us out of that, good lesson learned, we had some financial stability. It was tight, but we had some financial stability. We obviously had what your grandfather had set as that strive for excellence, which basically incorporated that uh, failure is not an option. (laughs) You know, you just have to keep on going and do your best and keep plugging. We had to look at the industries, what else was out there. And fortunately, and I forgot this one, I'm going to include this now, we're going to have to add this to the defining moments, we obtained a Corps of Engineer project from the in the Chaffalai Basin, mm-hmm. a big mapping project after that crash that really helped soften mm-hmm. some of that all crash blow. And that was really a tough, tough time for us. And we gradually came out of that. And like I told you, we've had, I don't know, I guess probably four oil dips, oil and gas dips over these years that I've been here, and they've always impacted us. Some of them were not just oil and gas related. One of them was the financial crisis, 2007, 2008, or 2008, 2009, whatever it is. But oil prices just went to hell in a handbasket. And then we had recently, 2016, I think, the the prices dropped off and when we were really busy in Midland. But all that has impacted us. So what we've learned from that is diversification Mm -hmm. is a key. And I think this company has strived to diversify, and that's why I felt it was all important that CAM rejuvenate the engineering group to have that diversified group. Mm-hmm. Another spoke uh, for the wheel. Correct. I don't want to say step up because they were a step, but just that he increased that group so much, the, the work that they were doing and, and can do, and that helped round out some of the revenue, so to and speak. You know what's interesting is a lot of people, when they think about Finstermaker, they just think about us as engineering. Sure. That's how sure. kind of potent our engineering flair is. And Absolutely. surveying side is Absolutely. just more of an undercurrent, more kind of like just, I mean, obviously the lifeblood of our organization, but kind of more in the the background with the work that they do with confidentiality and things like that. And what happens from the engineering side Survey is considered a, just a support service. Mm-hmm. And so it's not as dominant when most of our market was oil and gas. Mm-hmm. That was strictly survey. And we'd hear the opposite on those early years that somebody said, oh, uh, Fence to Make It did this road project. And I've, I remember some clients say, wait, y'all do engineering work? That yeah, kind of thing. All they, so thought, all they thought of us correct was surveying for oil and gas locations, pipelines, unitization surveys they didn't even realize and they knew they knew we did the environmental side but strictly from an oil and gas environmental component mm-hmm. not from an engineering side or even at some point now we've gotten to the coastal but so it's funny how that has changed and again it's whatever market you're dealing with because most markets have blinders on they don't know That's what true. other what other industries are doing or what goes into it yeah so i think that happens at the same time, I think it's so good for us that we have those 
different components like that from a commercial side, which is sometimes strictly oil and gas, to a public side, what I call a government side, which is more an engineering business line. Yeah. And then also the you know, the work product of our engineering group is more visible absolutely than the work product of absolutely. our survey group. Absolutely. Yeah. It is. It, you, you get more notoriety, I call it, more publicity, because mm-hmm. it is a sometimes a public entity, so it shows this project that you're doing. It's a bridge. It's a road. Correct. It's a roundabout. Correct. It is and, and, visible, yeah. And the public is interested in that. The public's not necessarily interested in oil and gas while going up on Catherine Fistemaker's property. Mm-hmm. Well, heck, I wish she was mine, and that's all they think about. Mm-hmm. Oh, so what? Yeah, but, the, and the work product is literally buried. Correct. So correct. Um, in a lot of those pipeline instances. Correct. So that's interesting so that we've that we shifted in that way. That and is Cam is larger than life, of course. Cam, I'm telling you, if... I hope he does get credit for for what he has done mm-hmm. to rejuvenate this this group yeah. here. And uh, he's a good man. He's a good man, excellent man. So, in the face of adversity, and you talked about our downturns, and so through our downturns, especially, what do you think is at the heart of this company that has allowed it to endure? I think again, uh, I keep referring back to your your uh, your grandfather that we had to do what we have to do. We make things work. We figure it out. We don't give up. We look for other avenues, whatever we can do mm-hmm. to get things going until things change. Mm-hmm. And I think that tenacity, I'm going to call it, has always been here, and that has served us well, and I, I think it will continue to serve us well. I think an optimistic point of view, I think your grandfather was an optimist. I know your dad is. Definitely, but your grandfather was. Maybe not as uh, over the top sometimes as your dad is, but your grandfather was definitely an optimist, and I think that helped along the way through all of those times. And obviously, your dad's optimism has helped tremendously in in these times of downturns. I think that permeates through the company. I, I consider that the heart of the company, this optimism and tenacity, is just, it's just there. And maybe another thing that maybe as a differentiator from other firms, just from my own vantage point is like, whenever things get tough, you know, we stand by our people. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because without our people, this company doesn't exist. Yeah. We have people to turn out products. We don't have robots to turn out products. We don't have assembly lines of robots to get these different things out. It's really complex things that we do. Absolutely. It's a complex operation. Absolutely. And it takes expertise, obviously dedication, uh, manpower. I mean, it, it just, the human person at Fence to Make It drives all that. And that's what's so wonderful that we have. We have the best people in the world, I'm telling you. We do. We have the best people in the world. I think so too. Man, we look around and anytime I'm ever working on a project and I, come into contact with someone new it's always exciting for me because everybody's so different we have such different people that work here and everybody's coming from their own obviously everyone has their own background and we're growing in our diversity absolutely um, lately which i think is so important so good especially you know i mean today's world it's so necessary it is um it's just exciting to be a part of that and that has served us well a diverse group of talented individuals that we have here that 
mixes it like a gumbo to make mm-hmm. this wonderful part of uh, that makes up this company. Yeah, you know, it really. That and they're really some unbelievably talented, smart, and dedicated people at this company. It, it still uh, fascinates me and amazes mm-hmm. me at the time sometimes that yeah. these people have gathered together in this company to make it what it is. Yeah, it's and without and without it is it is without them. I mean, seriously, company wouldn't, wouldn't exist. Like to think about we're. 300 roundabout 300 people like it's wild it what is a cool wild. team it is wild so what advice would you give to someone just joining our firm what would you share that might allow them to better understand our culture and where we've come from okay first and foremost i would advise them to do the best that they can at the job they were hard for first and foremost do the best that they can at the same time I would advise them to familiarize themselves with all of the services that the company offers, not get into the weeds just to know what this company does. And I think they would be amazed, but to make sure that they know this company does a lot of things. Yeah, the depths of our service lines absolutely. is insane. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And to me, that makes you proud, makes you enthusiastic, makes you energetic and saying, wow, man, this is a pretty good company. Yeah. But I want to make sure people educate themselves because sometimes they don't and they'll, they'll hear things. I think it's important to know what the company you're working for does, okay? Not just in your little silo or your little arena. Just to know what people do, I think it's very important. I also would advise them to look at the support services that Finstermaker has here and offers, whether it's benefits, whether it's the EAP, anything that, that, any services that they think could benefit them, just to be knowledgeable of that. I think that's critical. I'd also advise them to try to get out of their comfort zone. If there's some areas that maybe that's not their strength, Mm -hmm. try to see if they could work on those things, maybe put themselves in some uncomfortable positions to help them grow and advance and be aware of the opportunities here at Finstermaker for their advancement and their growth. Be aware of that. Don't have your blinders on and just doing what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Make sure that you look around you and see what's going on. I would also advise them to obviously communicate with people, talk with other people in this mm-hmm. company. You'd be amazed at conversations you can come up with and in, in what you find out that people can do and are doing. To me, it invigorates you. I think that's really good. And probably, last but not least, I would tell them to really have fun, enjoy the ride. It goes by really quickly, Yeah. whether you know it or not. It goes by extremely quickly. And I would also tell them, learn from their mistakes. You're going to make some mistakes. Don't worry about it. Learn from it. Yeah. I've heard no mistake is a total loss if you learn something from it. And that's what we carry forward. Um, Absolutely. 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 Okay. Got two more questions for you. All right. Where do you think that you were able to make an impact on our family business? And what do you hope to have left as a lasting impression? I do believe I had the ability or was asked anyway to uh, take on some difficult tasks at time. I was counted on to try to handle difficult situations, whether it was from production side, 
whether it was a personnel side, whether it was a risk side, believe I did that. Try to do my best at it. I might not have done it well all the time, but I felt privileged that I was counted on to attempt to do those particular things, those difficult situations. We've had many, and we're going to have more, and that's okay. That's business. That's mm-hmm. life. That's people. That's people, exactly. So I really feel that I've done that to help this family business and to help this great company. And, and it's, it's just been an amazing experience for me to have this rewarding career, challenging and rewarding career at the same time that I could only dream of. And to know that you are a pillar of this organization. Well, thank you for the compliment. I'll, I'll, I'll take that. But I really feel that I hope I have left the company thinking that I was competent, I was loyal, I was a team player, I gave it the best that I could, and I tried to do the right thing. I can't ask for more than that, and that's what I hope I've left with this company. Well, I can speak for myself and say that I'm super grateful that our 10 years overlapped and I had the opportunity to engage with you and go through some of my own uh, challenges with you. So well, I appreciate, I appreciate really that, good. Catherine. It was, it was fun that, that we had our, our <laughs> meetings and our times for sure. Yeah. I, I enjoyed those. I really enjoyed those. And I really just enjoyed the whole atmosphere here. It's just been fantastic. So, so we have arrived at the closing question. Okay. This is the question that I ask all of my guests in the spirit of our podcast name, Fueled. So what fuels you in general, in life, your career, work, family? What keeps you going? I think it's simple for me. I've always had this drive to try to do the best that I can. It's pretty simplistic, whether it was with my family, whether it was at work, whether it was my hobbies. I've strived to do that. I probably haven't, not probably, I know I have not done it all the time, my best, but, well, I did my best. Whether the outcome was the best might not have been the same. But yeah. So that was what, what fueled me, what, what drove me. And obviously, I still feel that I try to do the right thing even when no one's looking. Yeah. So I, uh, shows. I try to do that. Well, look, I appreciate you taking your time to come and share your insights with me and with everyone who will listen. And I just wish you well in all of your future endeavors. Thank you, Catherine. I enjoyed it so much.